meet Helen. She has two different autoimmune diseases and also hypothyroidism. Helen does not feel well. She's tired, she has brain fog, and she just doesn't feel like herself. Her body hurts all over, and she's also just depressed. She's not sure if she's depressed because she feels so bad or that the depression is an additional symptom of her conditions, but either way, she's not a happy camper. She really wanted to get to the bottom of everything, but didn't know where to start. When I met Helen, I saw that there were many areas where we can start to intervene, and to help put it all together, I knew we had to look at her blueprint so that we can solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about everything that Helen was going through. And joining me on the show today to dig into much more of that is Kashif Khan. Kashif is the author of The DNA Way. He's a two-time TEDx speaker, and he's the founder of The DNA Company, where personalized medicine is being pioneered through unique insights into the human genome. He's also the host of the Unpilled podcast. He's been featured all over the place. I'm not even going to name it everywhere. And he's accomplished so much and helped so many people. And on a personal side, using instructions found in his DNA, Kashif was able to heal himself of five chronic diseases and actually reduce his biological age by 10 whole years. So who wouldn't want that? Kashif, I am so excited to have you on. Welcome, welcome. It's great to be here with you. So many people feel plagued by a myriad of symptoms and health issues. And often they feel defeated thinking that it's just their genetics and what they have is what they have. But what many people don't realize is that there's so much more to this. Genes can turn on and off. We can make detours. And there's so many different hacks that we can do. And so I'm really excited to dig into this today. So why is it first important that we understand our DNA? So it's it's not for the reasons that we hear typically. There's much more important reasons. You know, typically it's get a genetic test and you have an 80% chance of breast cancer. Good luck. That's yes. not yeah. That's not why you need genetics. That model is broken and the body doesn't work that way. There aren't individual genes that cause problems unless they're genetic conditions, which you probably already know you have. The majority of what we deal with, and your audience knows as well, is chronic in nature, you know, developed over time from the choices you've made. So all we're saying is if you understand the genome properly, we're not talking about this gene equals a problem. We're more saying this gene tells us how your body does a job. All these biological functions, every cell has many, many, many jobs that it does. Those cells are reading this human instruction manual to understand how to do their jobs. And if an instruction isn't spelled out properly, or there's a paragraph missing, or there's an entire page missing from your instruction manual, you don't even do that job, then we can start to say, red flag on the job, if you now have these inputs, these choices of nutrition, lifestyle, et cetera, you're probably gonna end up with this disease. And if you have these choices, you're not gonna have the disease, which is a much more functional and useful way to look at the genome. It's not disease-centric, it's job-centric, 
that then allows you to point to the choices that bring you towards health or away from health and personalize every choice you make. That's great. I love hearing that because that's so empowering and that's what people really need. When we look at it that way, and is it a matter of that with the choices that you make, that's what's going to make that gene work better or turning it on, so to speak, or is there more to that? So it depends on the system. So for example, when it comes to hormones, and I would say in our research, the area that needs the most work and support is female hormone health, everything around infertility, menopause, fibromyalgia, all these things that at the medical level are, yeah, it's your hormones. You're supposed to feel like that. You know, that, what, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> no, it's much more black and white than that. If you understand the genetics of the hormone cascade. So that particular area is highly affected by what you just said, gene expression, meaning what I ate today is going to change the way I feel tomorrow because the gene that maybe converts testosterone into estrogen, for example, may speed up or it may slow down based on the choices I made. So that's expression, right? And you can on, literally on day-to-day feel different based on what genes are expressing, based on your habits. Then there is, you know, I might be missing a gene entirely. So a key detox gene, for example, that allows my liver to clear, you know, free radicals from my blood. So I don't even do that job. So I can't alter its expression when the gene doesn't even exist. And this is where genetics, quote unquote, kind of fails us because not everything is the same. So in that case, my options aren't about managing it. It's more about I have to replace it. I have to now take the supplements that allow me to do the job that my body doesn't do. Or I have to remove from my inputs the habits that I'm not capable of managing and handling. Right. So there's two different ways to look at it. And it depends on what system we're talking about. Right. Right. Now, when it comes to autoimmunity, because that's something that is so common these days. And I think there's so many people that don't even know they have an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Is that something that you think is related more to gene expression or potentially missing genes or both? I think right now there's a race to like find the autoimmunity gene and they're going to keep racing because that's not the way the body works. What we're finding is underlying system will fail. And I'm going to give you a couple examples. Underlying system will fail. And then the outcome is an autoimmune condition. It's not a direct, this equals that. There's something in the middle, which is your habits. And I'll give you an example. So in our gut, there's a gene called GSTM1, which is a primary detoxifying glutathione driving gene. So as we're eating the wrong foods, you know, with chemicals or whatever, this gene is supposed to help us prevent that's the nonsense from entering the bloodstream, right? The, The first line of defense. Most of us aren't doing so well with this gene. Some of us, uh, I think it's about 5% of us, have both copies from mom and dad at the top level. So now we do this job really, really, really well. Put that in today's context where the food is so much of a threat, right? What you've been armed with is the best gut detox for your ancestors' reality, where food was clean. Now put this in today's context where you're really, really good at detoxifying in the gut. And you're really, really good at eating garbage food that causes mm-hmm. inflammation and problems. You're going to enter this hyper detox mode, which equals autoimmunity. Think about, you know, COVID. We talked about the cytokine storm, right? This thing where your body's fighting so hard that it fights itself. It's the same thing. You do such a good job at gut detox, but if you aren't hyper diligent about what you're eating and you're on an average American diet, you're going to trigger a level of detox that equals autoimmunity. So that's one example. 
and I'll, I'll give you another example. We can go on and on and on. But I'll give you one more just to paint a picture. So with women, more so than men, we have to understand hormone toxicity. So the hormone cascade has three major steps. And there's little micros within those three steps. But major are hormone dominance. What do I make? Do I make more testosterone, more estrogen, somewhere in the middle? What's my dominance? What do I make? Then there's your metabolites. Now that I made it, what do I convert it into? And that thing that I can convert it into may potentially be toxic. Then there's my clearance. Now that I know I'm making this toxic byproduct, what do my detox pathways look like that specifically detox that thing, right? There's different detox jobs in your body also. So if you are the woman that is estrogen dominant and estrogen toxic and doesn't have the best detox pathways, you're now lined up for in this reality where everything is a hormone disruptor, where the chemicals in our environment mimic estrogens, where you're on a birth control pill or you're taking hormone therapy and you're adding more estrogens to fuel that, that toxicity fire, that leads to a constant internal monthly drip of inflammation that eventually your body's gonna say, I can't take this anymore. And you express an autoimmune condition or the thyroid fails, or there's some trigger that, or sorry, I should say outcome. The outcome is different for different people. It could be breast cancer. Could be migraines, could be anything. It depends where your hardware is failing, right? Mm -hmm. So just another example of there wasn't a direct gene that equaled autoimmunity, but there's a very clear path that you could test a five-year-old girl and say, here's your red flag. Here's the habits you should have to never feel poorly. Mm, I love that. And you know, so often a lot of practitioners and I do as well in the practice, we'll test for estrogen metabolites, right? We'll look at the two hydroxy and the four and the 16, and we'll right. see that someone might be high in the four, and then they may have possibly slow methylation and some other things going on. And that's helpful to see so we could figure it out. But what I love that you're saying is that you can do all this and test a five-year-old girl, right? Where you can see where the hardware is going to fail, because right. you can't really test a five-year goal for estrogen metabolism. She doesn't have the estrogen in you know high enough amounts to yep. actually produce to even show the metabolism. And you know, likely in a menopausal woman, when estrogen is low, it's really hard to test metabolism because there's so little, but that doesn't mean that some of these nuances aren't happening. So that's really, yep. really cool to hear and see about. Exactly. There's, you know, the phases of your life, and there's also even a mature, say, fertility age woman, what did you eat yesterday? You know, your Dutch test is going to show you different results. If you had a broccoli smoothie versus a steak, right? Did you go for a run? Are you in oxidative stress? What did you do? So it's it, reacting to, and, and I mean, this is the best option we had until now was measuring blood work and reacting to what we see, right? Uh, but now what we're saying is the blood work is a measure in time. Here's where you're at today. Why are you there? You know, what's going on biologically that got you there? What What's the action plan? And then that's where we get into this trial and error. Let me try this. That didn't work. Let me try this. One size fits all. That didn't work. As opposed to here's exactly what's going on in my body. And on day one, I'm going to get it right. And one of the things that is really heavily related to autoimmunity is gut health. And you mentioned right. some of the genes in the gut. What else can we gather from our DNA about the gut and what happens there? Well, there's... Another big one that we see is there's a lot of very purposeful, you know, diet choices in terms of I'm keto, I'm vegan, I'm whatever, carb free, right? So in those choices, you know, we find that a lot of people that choose to, especially nowadays, there's a big wave towards veganism, right? Uh, which for the person for whom it works, great. The majority of people don't have the genetics, genetics, I should say, sorry, 
to produce the enzymes required to break down your beans, lentils, legumes, chickpeas. And so we find over and over again that they start to feel what you would describe as an autoimmune condition if you do that for two years, right? You're creating this load on your gut where you're eating something that you don't make the enzymes to break it down, and that's your primary protein source, right? And I'm not picking on vegans, I'm just using that as an example of if you don't get it right, and the opposite could be true. You may be on a keto diet, right? You may be on a carnivore diet and saying, I'm gonna go do this, and you'll feel amazing in the first few weeks because you're in ketosis and you're burning fat as fuel and the ketones are firing in your brain and you feel like a superhuman, right? Then five, six weeks into it, you get a little sluggish. There's some brain fog. You're like, what's going on? I don't feel the same. You don't blame it on the diet because that felt so good in the beginning. Something else must be going on. And so the symptomology looks like autoimmunity after, especially the longer you dive into it. And it may be this one gene, APOE2, which determines how efficiently you actually metabolize fats. And if you don't do that well, which a lot of us, myself included, don't, you won't thrive on a keto diet, right? So we can get very precise on what are you putting into your gut? What does that gut think you're supposed to do based on what your ancestors did? And what is it prepped for? And what genes are actually firing well? and Which ones aren't? And if you're not aligned there, you can be assured that you're not going to feel good. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's so important to know that so that you can either then A, change your diet or B, put in things to kind of yes. hack that and take extra, I'm assuming, you know, if it's a fat thing, you know, take bile salts and digestive enzymes and some of the other things that could maybe help with that. Yeah. And these are the two dials you can turn. It's like, okay, my genes do not suit my choices. You either have to change your choices or you have to add something to support it because your body doesn't do that job. So you're either removing the bad news and changing it to good news, or you're adding supplementation. Like you just said, here's the things that will help you metabolize fats. All of a sudden you can do that thing well, but it's knowing, knowing what the red flag is. What, what do I prioritize and what do I need to, to support? And another thing that a lot of people with thyroid issues and Hashimoto's experience is brain fog and almost yeah. like that ADD type of um, like feeling in the clouds and not being able to concentrate and having poor clarity. And I would say, you know, when I do groups like monthly and do different webinars and I pull people all the time and I would say brain fog is usually, if not number one, it's number two in terms of symptoms. So yeah. how can our brain health and how well our brain works relate to our genetics? What are some of the things that are involved there? So we can spend an hour just talking about this, right? <laughs> so the, now, first of all, what you said about symptomology, the reason people express things differently, and for me, it's more the brain fog. For me, it's more the joint pain. Like, what am I feeling? We have different hardware, right? and that's also genetically driven. So where is the problem going to express? To what degree is different for different people? Now, the brain fog, keep in mind that your brain has the second highest density of mitochondria in your body after your heart right? And so that's what gives it its cellular resiliency. And some of us genetically aren't doing well in terms of our mitochondrial health. So if there's already this load of something triggering autoimmunity and your mitochondria isn't functioning properly and isn't ready for more, then you are going to be that person that feels it here first. And I'm pointing to my head, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the person for who you're going to feel things like brain fog, memory loss. It's all slipping. Um, that's one layer. The second layer is we can determine genetically how efficiently somebody deals with neuroplasticity and brain repair and neurogenesis. Uh, there's a gene called BDNF, which actually creates brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is a supplement that some people will take, 
which is truly these you know neural pathways and synapses that we build these information highways how efficiently do we do that and for a person that struggles there which a lot of people do uh all of a sudden when it comes to the load they don't handle it well right the brain will collapse a lot faster in terms of its capacity and the brain fog will settle in quicker and it's harder to recover also it's hard it takes them longer to get out of it right then there is how people perceive so one really unique thing that we were able to do and this is kind of what we realized was what was, was broken genetics geneticists knew what the genes meant clinicians knew about the diseases but they never talked to each other so geneticists said that you don't know how to use our tool and clinicians said so your tool sucks right <laughs> that was kind of genetic no one so what we said is we need to be in the middle and have the dna and be the clinics so we did that we spent 3 years with 7000 people one by one by one by one by one to understand how the their habits environment drugs you know food everything influenced their genes and made them sick or healthy and in that we were able to document the behaviors of 7000 people we actually talked to them we spent time with them we understood when these neurochemical maps looked like this they were more risk adverse or they were more reward seeking or they would procrastinate or they would burn out quickly and we now know what genes drive all of that and so perception is another big one there's some people that are feeling a 2 out of 10 but are going to tell you it's an 8 out of 10. There's some people that are feeling an 8 out of 10 will plow through it as a 2 out of 10 and burn themselves out and crash. Mm. And there's a couple of genes here. There's dopamine, right? Your pleasure and reward seeking chemical and some people can't experience dopamine at the right levels because the density of the receptors of their brain is not dense enough. They are more reward seeking. When you say go take this pill, they're going to take six of them when they were told to take one. right mm. and when you say maybe experiencing brain fog you're like no i feel amazing leave me alone and then they'll burn themselves out the opposite is also true when you say to somebody who didn't feel any brain fog one of the symptoms is brain fog they're going to start feeling it the next day and they're going to feel it so bad that they can't do anything and brain fog is their new identity right so that before we in in our clinic work with anybody we first show them how they perceive the world because often half of fixing things comes from their perception and them understanding what 2 out of 10 means what 8 out of 10 actually means what do they really feel how do they perceive the world and how does the world perceive them so they actually can get coached so these are i mean and there's some stuff that is more directly related but i'm showing you some of the subtle nuances that typically wouldn't get covered right uh and and there's so much more we can talk about Oh but that's so fascinating and you know you mentioned also with neuroplasticity and how those neuropathways work and how some people might have you know that could be slowed down or sped up and some I'm curious also at how that would relate to autism you know with in autism it's obviously a very disconnected brain i think a lot of people don't have a good understanding of you know the true yeah. pathophysiology even on the functional medicine side you know there's so many people who say oh yeah you just fix their guts and take their heavy metals out and it's yeah. fine and you know it's like okay like that can help but like it's a different brain you know those neurons don't actually migrate and so it's very yeah. disconnected and i'm wondering just as you mentioned that it kind of made me want to ask the question you know are you know and obviously there's some genetics with that too like can some of these be reconnected in some way yeah so there's we do work with a lot of autistic kids and there's two sort of precursors to what you're saying one is um uh, the difference between innate autism meaning a child is born with something versus a child a child changed and the fun, the 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 allopathic medical world believes all kids are in bucket 1 they have autism 
right? The functional medicine world believes all kids are in bucket two. Autism doesn't exist and it's developed because of your heavy metals, right? Now, both of these people are right, but they're not right in, in terms of it's all kids fit in this bucket. Both of these buckets exist. So step one is which one are you? Are you, is it innate? Is it a genetic condition? The things that you described, the, the neurology isn't working properly. There's a behavioral development issue, right? The way you fix that is not, yes, all of this functional stuff is going to alleviate and help this child do better, but you're not going to reverse it. They, they, they have a condition. You need to work on the brain, right? You need to work on autism. Right now, there's a lot of research. We do work with research, uh, sorry, with Sick Kids Hospital here in Toronto in terms of finding that switch that turns autism on and off. We're not there yet. You know, millions of dollars have been spent and we're nowhere near there yet. I do think we will get there. That will solve this problem. But this is today a fraction of what we call autism. The majority, the vast majority is in the second bucket of my child was okay. Then they took a certain shot and they changed. The shot didn't do anything, but perhaps the heavy metals that caused a level of inflammation where they experienced neural inflammation that led to literally brain damage, right? And then their development wasn't the same after that. Or there were some pesticides or some chemicals or glyphosates or something, right? So you have to take a step back and again, first look at the genome to understand who is this child? Just like when you're saying, I have a horrible menopause. Well, who is this woman? Just like when you're saying, my grandmother had dementia, I don't want it. Who are you? Why? Not what is it? Why? Let's look at the why. And for both of these two people, it's a different why. Same thing is true of all chronic conditions. Now you can solve the problem in the context of the problem, not the, I think it works this way. I think it works this way and force that down people's throat. But both of these problems exist. You just need to give the person what they actually need, what they're actually dealing with, not what you believe is the only way to do it. For sure. So if someone wanted to look at their genes, and um, obviously you have your company that does it, there's you know other genetic tests out there. Can you tell us a little bit more about the differences and what the best way would be to look at that and to start to interpret it? Yeah. Um, so with a very strong bias, I'll say that our way is the best way, right? <laughs> and I'll explain why. <laughs> So uh, there's genetics, which is the same difference between this. So think of it as this. Medicine is I go to the doctor, they tell me what I have, and then we manage it. Functional medicine is I go to the doctor, we figure out why I have it, and then I get rid of it. So the difference between identity of I have a disease and I, and I have it versus I caused a disease and let me change my habits. That's the same difference between genetics and functional genetics. Genetics is it this gene equals this, this gene equals this, but we're only going to tell you it equals an 80% chance of this and a 60% chance of this because we don't know the lifestyle factors that actually get you to 100. Functional genomics is there's no single gene. There's systems that are interwoven. If you talk about autism in the functional sense, it's detox, methylation, neurology, it's mood and behavior, it's gut. All of these things are interconnected to equal the problem. So you have to first functionally think about the systems. Then you have to add the environment, nutrition, and lifestyle habits, the epigenetics to equal the problem. That's functional genomics. So when it comes to genetic testing, really useful for genetic conditions. Like if you have, for example, a rare cancer and you're trying to understand what's going on here, understanding the genetics of that cancer, very useful, right? When it comes to the big ones like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, Alzheimer's, dementia, cardiovascular, Genetics isn't going to help you much. Functional genomics, 
how does my body work? What are the choices I made that caused the inflammation? If we take a step back and just look at it from this context, 14 of the 15 top pillars in the US from the healthcare system are all rooted in the exact same thing, inflammation, right? right? And number 15, by the way, which is actually number three, the third cause is medical error. So a doctor making a mistake. So it's still rooted in inflammation because you had to go to the doctor because you were sick and they made a mistake and you died, right? So right. we can say all 15 are caused by inflammation, which means forget about the name of the disease. Forget about your thing, your outcome, because everyone's outcome is going to be different based again on your hardware. Let's ask, why, does, why do my cells suffer inflammation? What is my red flag? What is that job that my body doesn't do properly? And then I don't need to worry about any of these spokes that come out of the central hub of inflammation. Let me deal with maintaining the God-given gift of healthy cells that I was born with. How do I keep that going until 120? I'm going to be riding my bicycle at 120. Why do I age? Because I didn't maintain the health of my cells. Why do I get a disease? Because I didn't maintain the health of my cells. Why do I get cognitive decline and brain fog? Because I didn't maintain the health of my cells. Right. If if they were healthy, resilient, mitochondria firing properly, you can't get a chronic disease. There's no inflammation. Right. You cannot trigger mm -hmm. it. Now, fast forward to today's reality, where the environment is such a threat, where the food is such a threat, where stress levels and relationships and everything, everything, everything piles up. Yes, there's a bigger challenge to deal with, which means you just have to put in a lot more effort. It's a priority. Your health is not taken for granted. It's something you have to work on. It doesn't just happen. It's something that you have to work on, or you're almost certain to get sick. So then in terms of testing, because yeah. hearing this, right, why would people not want to find this out, right? Especially knowing that there's something we can do, because I think so often, you know, we talk about, yeah, the genes are the genes, you know, if you can't change them, what's the point? But this is like you said, it's the hardware, and then we can do something about that. What are some of, how do you test for this? I mean, there's cheek swabs and there's blood tests. And yeah. as we mentioned, there's different companies. And, you know, something like, say, like a 23 in me, and I'd love to hear more about what you do, how that's different and how that's more beneficial. So there, there's three ways it's typically done. One is a swab, which is a swab is usually a call it an entry level product that doesn't um, have a same accuracy level. You need a lot of DNA to get DNA sequencing is not as advanced as people think it is. Right. It's still there's a lot of errors. There's a lot of work required to make it perfect. So a cheek swab is good for like a nutrigenomics type test. Like what does my diet look like? And kind of leave it at that, right? Mm -hmm. Then there are saliva sample tests where you're spitting in a, a tube. You'll see companies like 23andMe and we we use the same, you know, saliva sample where there, there's a lot more data collection and you need to make sure that there's a certain level of accuracy. So we need a lot of DNA. So we're able to run it five times with that saliva sample. Then there is blood testing. And typically that's done if you're going deep clinical, meaning that, keep in mind, an individual gene is thousands of letters long, and there's 22,000 of these genes. So there's billions of lines of code, right? So if they're, if you're looking for like a rare cancer or a rare Alzheimer's genes or a rare autism gene, an actual causation, that's where you may get a separate test just for that, and it, it's done by blood work usually, right? Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about, there's there's key genes that drive the key systems of hormones, brain, metabolic health, all the key things that lead you towards or away from inflammation. So five milliliters of saliva is the right amount. Uh, a kit gets shipped to you, gets shipped back to our lab. DNA is extracted from the saliva. 
and then a sequence. Sequencing means basically just reading the DNA and telling you what version of each gene you have of the ones that we think are important. So that's where genetic companies usually end is here's your report. Here's the version of the genes you have. We exactly. believe that that's the- usually what people get. And then they're like, okay, what do I do with this? What do I do? Right. Then you go to a functional medicine doctor, a PhD, three different people will tell you three different things about what I mean. So exactly. Yeah. And then a lot of times they don't align it with what actually is happening in the body currently. Yeah. So that's where we believe the biggest job we had to do wasn't the testing. Everybody knows how to test. You can go buy a DNA testing machine and put it in your basement, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need us for that. So what needed, what was really needed was the interpretation. So we built an AI portal that does that. It's not here's a DRD2 gene, it's here's anxiety. And here's why you experience anxiety. And by the way, here's also what to do about it. Because we understand what genes are driving it for you. So here's the supplements you should take. Here's the habits you should adopt. Here's the habits you should remove. So habit development and formation is a very important part of what we think the healing journey is. Because it's 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 one thing to say, here's your report, good luck. It's a whole other thing to say, here's what you're going to do for the next three months to change your identity from I can't sleep at night to I sleep amazing. And to truly be able to say that and believe it is not a switch. It's work. It's months of work, right? And if you understand to be a new version of yourself is not a prescription, go home, good luck. It is work, work, work. But after you're done the work, you will have a new identity. You will be a different version of yourself. You won't even remember what it felt like to be that old person right? That's what you want to do. So spend a few months on it so that the rest of your life has been invested into as that new person. Now, when someone gets their results and then they get their interpretation, is it layered with other testing in terms of like what's happening in their body now? Or do you feel like that's not as necessary because once you have the gene in the way that you're looking at it, you're able to see how it connects to the different elements that they may have? So it, it depends on the problem, right? We do run a clinic as well, where we do do blood work and we do do Dutch testing and even the typical medical cholesterol testing and everything, right? But what we believe is it it also really dramatically swings based on who we're talking to. So based on the patient themselves, there's some people that can't yet grasp that we understand how their body works and we don't mm-hmm. need the symptom is. There's some people that don't yet grasp that if you're not aligned with the earth and grounding and getting sunlight, that that could be the reason you're sick. There's some people that still don't get that you're not overeating, you're you're emotionally eating because of your neurochemical pathways, right? It's not a calorie and treadmill thing. It's an emotion problem. So the body, it's so much more complex than we think, but the solutions are so much simpler than we think. If you understand that complexity, yeah. Right. Just isolate what the real problem is. I am emotionally eating because of a bad relationship. That's the problem. You don't have a weight issue. You're not obese. You're not tired. You're not. It's. And I'm not saying this is everybody's. But I'll just give you an example. Sure. Of course. So, um, so that's where the if you're willing to hear that, first of all, the path to healing is much faster because you're going to deal with the root cause. But for someone who isn't willing to hear that, which I was just dealing with someone like that yesterday a CEO of a company who just doesn't want to listen, right? <laughs> that, okay, let's do all the blood. Let's do everything, right? And we will do it. And then after three, four, five months of getting him better, we will then explain what we did to get him better, right? And by the way, this is also genetic. 
the mm. people that have the suboptimal BDNF, the brain drive neurotropic factor, it's very hard for them to change perspective because they don't do a good job with neuroplasticity. So they can't learn new skills. They can't learn new things. And they also, as a mood issue, give things a lot of meaning. They experience what we call shell shock. So when they go get a diagnosis of cholesterolemia, it's very hard for them to hear that you don't have cholesterolemia. You have endothelial inflammation or you have a free radical detox problem, right? They can't hear that. It will take them months of learning it experientially. So that's, again, why we say we, we look at the brain first to even understand how to talk to this person. And there's some people where we just know we have to let them go through it experientially. And that's how they're going to have that aha moment one day. You know, yeah. what I love about what you're saying is that you're such a blend, I think, of so many things, right? So you're so technical, right? And so brilliant in terms of understanding the DNA. But then on the other side, you really see the importance of grounding and sunlight, you know, because I think a lot of times people tend to be kind of very clinical and on one side, and then the spiritual side is lacking or the other, right? They're very on this side and like, oh, just, you know, breathe and forget your problems. And then who cares yeah. about everything else? You know, and I just, I love how you blend it. And I, I think I'm very similar with that too. And I actually, when I first started my practice 20 years ago, I was very, very specific, very kind of oriented in test results. And like, this means this, and this means this. And I didn't have as much understanding on some of these other less tangible things, you know, and then it took yeah. many years to kind of see that and kind of blending it together. And so I love how you're connecting that as well. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a blessing of coming in from the outside, because if you're formally educated, you believe that that's the truth and it's the only truth, right? Yeah. You got a degree in a solution and for humanity and how could anything else be true because right. you were told this is the truth so it's very difficult and again looking at the neural maps of people that become specialists usually are wired to have a bird like a tunnel vision view blinders on right that's mm -hmm. what makes them so good at being that person and you can see that through dna you can see that genetically yeah oh my gosh that's amazing <laughs> yeah so for example when it comes to the dopamine pathway i am I, it's very hard for me to experience dopamine, pleasure and reward. And the clearance is really, really fast, oh. right? So it doesn't, it doesn't. But you make, don't seek those dopamine hits or do you seek well, them more because it's hard I, to feel? I constantly seek them, but I'm, my brain is constantly shifting gears. So whatever I, whatever we just talked about, I'm done. What's next? What's next? What's next? Versus if you look at the typical scientist or clinician, they usually have a very healthy dopamine pathway and very slow clearance which makes them less reward seeking and more likely to say no than yes. That's not interesting. I'm not interested. I don't care. No, I don't like that TV show. No, this food doesn't taste good. Right. But when they find the thing that they like, they binge, they mm -hmm. get stuck because their clearance is slow. And that leads to a subject matter expert, a person that does one thing really, really well, but says no to everything else. Right. And I'm, I'm wired more to be an entrepreneur. I can't say no to anything. Everything excites, excites me. And so I understand when you talk about grounding, how valuable it is. And I understand when you talk about medication and making sure that it's managed properly. I want to know it all. And I have no ego preventing me from accessing that. Right. So mm -hmm. not to speak about myself, but it just, this is just another example of how the genome can highly personalize even how, who, who you're talking to. Right, right, for sure. And I know you've also talked about chronic conditions that you yourself had that you were able to heal. Yeah. Are you, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, migraines, which was the worst one, 
I horrible, horrible, intense migraines. I used to vomit to get rid of the pain and then fall asleep. Uh, eczema. I couldn't open my left eye at one point for a month. It was like sealed shut from eczema. Psoriasis to the point where if I clasp my knuckles like this, they would bleed all across. Wow. Uh, and also my ears and all that eczema. It was crazy. Uh, gut issues and depression. So here's a perfect example. Let's take the depression. So I just said that I, I have the lowest density of dopamine receptors. So it's very hard for me to experience pleasure and reward. I also have very fast clearing, so it doesn't last long enough. So why am I not depressed today? Because that sounds like a, wire, a recipe for depression. The, the world sucks. I can't feel anything. I have felt that, right? But I also felt the way I feel today. So when it comes to mood and behavior and mental health, what I've learned is context is so important. There's nobody, unless again, you're just like we said about autism, there are people that are born with a condition. They have a chemical imbalance, poor neural wiring. We already know. The majority of us develop problems. Why is there a mental health wave post-COVID? Why didn't these people have it pre-COVID? Something caused it. There was an environment and social shift that caused it that they couldn't cope with. What does that mean? Context. In the context where I'm just doing what everybody else does and going with the flow, I will be depressed because the world is not enough. In the context where I seek pleasure, I'll become addicted because that's never enough. I need more and more and more and more, but I'm getting the hit and getting out of depression. In the context where I seek reward, because both reward and, and pleasure power dopamine, satisfaction, they, it can come from either source. You only need one. I will become what I am, achievement-oriented, entrepreneurial, constantly taking more risks and seeking a bigger reward and building companies and helping people and doing whatever I can to get more reward. More reward. So the context drives the outcome. And in some, in most of the genome, the epigenetics is environment, nutrition, lifestyle. These are the loads that pull the trigger, like you said. In mood and behavior, it's context. Who am I? What, what is my superpower? And what context am I in determines if I flourish or if I crash. Right. right? And this is true for all the big words we use, anxiety, depression, addiction, et cetera, and so on. It's true for all of that stuff. We unwind. I've dealt with people that are suicidal that were literally trying to take their life who are thriving within days because they didn't know what they were wired for. And when they found out, it felt so perfect that they couldn't, they just feel amazing. Right. So anyways, I don't even know where we started from, but I went on a rant. <laughs> no, but that's super helpful and inspiring to hear. We were just talking about all of the things you overcame. Right, so yeah, that's yeah. amazing to hear about just in terms of some of the mental health and how much knowing your genetics and what you're wired for has helped. And then with, I know you said you had gut issues and psoriasis yeah. and eczema. Of course, those are very connected because mm -hmm. so much of the gut can affect that. But I'm curious with that, was it just gut support that you did or, or was it the specific genes? Like, how did you work with that? It was a mixture of learning through, so psoriasis is autoimmunity, right? Eczema is inflammation. They're different, mm -hmm. but they look the same. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was a mixture of understanding through functional medicine, how to heal, but also with my genome being very precise about what the triggers were. So what did I learn is there's key detox functions, particularly my gut. There's a gene called GSTM1, and I don't even have it. I'm missing it, completely missing. And that gene is protective of the gut. It's the same one we talked about at the beginning that some people have extra copies of that they right. overdo the job. I don't do the job at all. So that led to my inflammatory issues, 
Then I had autoimmunity type issues, which were more related to my inability to deal with inhalation-based toxins. So in my office for seven years was sitting on top of a manufacturing company. Oh boy. That was putting toxic pollutants into the airway. And I was the only person that was sick because I was not genetically wired for it. My business partner who was in the same building who used to drive me home vomiting from migraine pain never got sick because he had an extra copy of the gene that I was missing. Mm. And he would plow through all those toxins, just pee them out. Right. Right. Super detox. He also used to drink a lot. I didn't drink because he just could handle it. He wouldn't get drunk. He, he enjoyed drinking and he wouldn't get drunk. Right. Because he was a super human detoxer. So yeah. So there was a little bit of what's again, the very first thing, what job do my body not do? What insults do I need to remove? And what supplements and supplement could be exercise or supplement or food or whatever. What do I need to add to make my body do that job well? And then from a therapeutic lens, where do I now think my body is probably needing support because I now understand biologically what failed. And yes, it's probably the gut. Yes, it's probably neurogenesis. It's probably mitochondrial load. So I started to work on those things too. And the net result by sort of working at both fronts is I'm healthier than I've ever been. I don't get sick. Anymore. I don't even get a common cold anymore. That's amazing. Yeah. When it, when it, I can feel it, the tingle comes, you know, the kids bring stuff home when I feel it and it just goes away. Right. So that's where I'm at. That's amazing. That's so yeah. good to hear. And so for those who are interested in getting the test, can you tell us a little bit more about what it costs and then what it entails and what type of report it is? And is it something where they would have to see someone on your team after, or is it a self-interpretation Sure. So the, the report really is the product. I, I try to design it in a way where you don't need anyone's help. I think that was the biggest problem. And this actually came from one of our clients. So there's a, there's a company in Canada called Rogers, which is like our Verizon. It's like a big telecom company. Mm-hmm. And one of their C-suite executives, kids was actually autistic, by the way, as we were talking about. And I was working with the family. He said, what you're doing is incredible. The only one thing you got to do is make it easy to use. And that became my mission from that day because I realized this is the only way people can use this if it's like self-use, self-service interpretable. So we built the platform that's AI driven, that's very easy to use. You don't need to know anything about genetics. The recommendations are laid out very easily. But some people say, well, my mom had breast cancer. I don't want it. You know, I, I'm worried about Alzheimer's. I don't want it. That's where we do need to clinically intervene. And so we do have functional genomics trained practitioners can, that can work with you on programs and you know, whether it's solving a single problem, like my hair is falling out and I can't figure it out all the way to just mine my entire genome and tell me everything, even the things that I didn't even know I needed to know. And let's work on it all. Right. So yes to, you can get a test, self-serve, be the optimal version of yourself, know what choices to make. We have regular ongoing education sessions where you can show up with your report in your hand and ask questions and learn also, which I think is even more valuable than the report. It's like, I see this red flag. What do I do? Show up to the session, you'll be told, and you'll it'll you know be a wow factor for you. But if you need clinical intervention, we have it. And then I know you guys have a special code also. So for anyone okay. that's interested, um, right. I'll post that in the show notes. Um, and then you guys can get a discount as well. Okay. Great. Now, Kashif, what about food? So a lot of people, especially those with Hashimoto's, tend to also have the HLA genes, and so they do better gluten-free. Of course, not to say that everyone needs to be gluten-free, but there's a big connection there with Hashimoto's and other autoimmunity. Yeah. The way that you guys look at DNA and the report that you do, 
is there a food component of what foods, like specific foods, or is it more like food groups that would be better or worse yeah. for somebody? We went, we looked at groups because I don't agree with most of the nutrition genomic tests that specifically say, you know, add more carrots, remove the broccoli, right? I always thought that was very odd because how yeah. can you know that if it's not a food sensitivity test? Yeah, it's not. I don't, I don't agree. So I don't okay. personally even incorporate that into my own health plan. Like I don't use those products, right? What we do believe is yes, gluten or celiac, very clear. The HLA genes, like you said, we have an algorithm that we designed around that. That's a multitude of genes that we combine and will tell you if you are gluten intolerant or celiac, right? Or neither. Uh, lactose intolerance, uh, the micronutrients we think are really important, the vitamin D cascade, vitamin C, vitamin A, zinc. How do you precision dose, right? How do you take the amount that your body actually needs? And this is super important in the B vitamins. So in the B vitamins, um, do I need folic acid or folinic acid in terms of my folate? Am I, if I'm taking folate, do I even have the genetics to metabolize that? Maybe I need folinic. Right. Yeah. And that's huge because I just think, you know, in with all the MTHFR um, research and how sort of popular it's become over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, you yeah. know, I think so many, even functional medicine practitioners are like, oh, you have MTHFR. Great. Here's Deplin. And it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it's, I think people just associate that with more methylfolate and not understanding that really fine balance, right? Between overmethylation, undermethylation. I'm actually an overmethylator. I take too many methylfolate or methylcobalamin or any methyl donors. Yeah. I literally feel like I'm crawling out of my skin. And I actually did some testing on my son. He's six now. And he was like, just really like, I don't know, like antsy, like like ants in his pants. And yeah. He is also an overmethylator. Mm. And as soon as I lowered that, I saw such a difference. And so I love what you're saying about really being able to figure that out. Cause you know, we need folate, but in what form? You know, it's in not everyone form, thinks, yeah. oh, well, methylfolate is the best. And it's like, well, it's methylated, but it's not always the best for everyone. So I love what no. you're saying there. Yeah, we can be very and that methylation is not a single gene. Again, that's genetics and that's what everybody believes is true, but it's actually functional, meaning there's an entire cascade. There's six or seven genes. Think of methylation more as a baton pass. There's a job that happens and then it passes the baton to the next job and the next job and the next job. And there's just about six or seven jobs. And in there, there's B12, there's B9, then there's your, you know, your other B complexes and folate and folic acid. And all of these things get used in that cascade. And you have to be precise about which version. So for example, B12, there's some people that cannot absorb it or metabolize it in their gut. They have to take it sublingually because their ancestors just didn't eat beef. And so they don't have the genetics to metabolize in the gut, the form that comes from beef, which we assume is the standard form. There's no such thing as standard, right? Uh, then there's, do I need, like you said, methylcobalamin when it comes to my B12, or do I, I need adenosyl, a very different version, which is not typically what you see on store shelves. Yeah, or hydroxy. Mm -hmm. or, yeah, exactly. And so what specifically do you need? Now, when you get specifically what you need, you feel amazing right? Because that's the key. That, that's the thing that your body was missing that would have got you to this optimal level. Yeah. So so um, your report then would show that. So based on that, it would actually tell you the type of bees that you would need? Yeah, we, we go deep into the methylation system. It's not just MTHFR. Uh, we go into all of the methylation genes and, and we're specific on that. Um, and then 
we look at the macros. So fat met- metabolic pathways, insulin response, uh, starch metabolic pathways, you know, the, like we were talking earlier about the enzymes around vegan foods, et cetera. So it's more like, here's what your macro looks like. Now you can go plate your food, right? You understand what it should look like. This, the other big one, when it comes to food is behavioral genomics. So there's some people, especially when it comes to calories, uh, we teach you how you perceive satiety. So there's some people that when it comes to their gut and their brain, the signal is just a little slower. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this on air, but I, I mean, I eat really healthy foods, right? Yeah. But I will eat and eat and I'm like, yeah. I'm kind of full, but this is so good. So I'm just yeah. going to keep eating and <laughs> eating. I'm also yeah. nursing, so that doesn't help, but but I hear you on that. So yeah, tell us more. Yeah. So there, there's, a, there's a couple ways to look at that. There's, there's the actual genetics around the gut brain connection. And how do you, how does that communication happen? And is it too slow? In which case you need to plate your food or maybe have some fiber or something to fill you and then know that this is what I'm eating, right? Then there's going back to the binging genes. There's some people that when they get into pleasure can get out of it. So it's not so much about the gut. It's more about the pleasure response that they get stuck in the pleasure. Like, oh, I need more. I need more. I need more. Then there's satiety, the palate. There's a gene called MC4R, which again, our genetics are wiring us for our ancestors' habits, caveman habits, right? And cavemen didn't have access to the fridge full of food and the pantry full of cookies and crackers that we did. So they had wiring to seek out variety. They wouldn't get satisfied easily in their palate, which caused them to crave more flavor and more texture. We still have these traits, some of us. I'm one of them, by the way, which means I eat my meal and I may be full, but I'm not satisfied. And now I need cookies and now I need chips. And now I need to go to the pot and scrape the crispy stuff from the bottom. Right. Oh, I think I have that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's yeah. a little bit like you eat something salty, right? And then you're like, Oh, but now I need something sweet. Oh, and now I yes. need something salty again. And now I need something yes. sweet. Yes. So that's exactly what's going on. And so that's your brain seek variety, 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 more nutrition, more nutrition, more nutrition. But in the context of their varieties available, it leads to overeating. So we hack that. All we say is, okay, if your palate is seeking variety to signal stopping, give it variety. Have your meal. But as soon as you're done, you're having a little piece of dark chocolate, a grape, piece of cheese, a nut for the crunch, the different textures. Picture when you when you eat a bowl of Thai food, that wow factor of the coconut, you know, the noodle, the crunchy, the soupy, that like you're getting everything. That's why it's so satisfying. So that's what you need to create to create satiety of the palate. So and, and again, we can go on and talk just about diet for an hour, but there, there's so many ways that we can uniquely understand the places where people, everybody gets stuck when it comes yeah. to their nutrition and their weight. And it's the the stuck points that we deal with that we kind of teach people how to get out of. Right. Well, that's so smart, right? Because, you know, like you said, it's, it's the testing is kind of the easy part, but it's the protocols and what you do. And I mean, even just what you said, I mean, that's brilliant, right? If you're someone who needs that variety, then like have a grape and have a piece of chocolate and have a nut, like, it just it makes so it's so simple, but it's so yeah. brilliant at the same time. I love that. I'm gonna have to try that. Try I it, bet right? I'm gonna do my test because I bet I have that <laughs> as well. Yeah, and and that's where the solutions have to be easy, right? It's it's not um, if I go tell you not to go need to take three supplements to turn your satiety off. It, that's a whole other work you have to do. So it's got to be easy, and it's much easier to have a little plate of snacks daily you know, that causes satiety than to, you know, do many other things you could possibly do. 
So we learned that from a gentleman named Dr. BJ Fogg. So when you get the reports, uh, he wrote a book called Tiny Habits. Um, he runs the Stanford University Behavioral Change Lab. So he's a guru when it comes to human behavior and changing. And so in our reports, there's all these behavioral change components like go eat some nuts and whatever uh, that he helped us write to make it easy for people to do. And that was another key component. How do we make this easy so that it actually sticks? Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Hasha, this has been so helpful. And I know that doing this and doing the report is going to help so many people. And as I mentioned, I'm going to put the discount code in the show notes. Um, and for those who want to learn more about you or connect with you and your clinic and your company, where can people find you? The the book is at the dnaway.com. Some people just want to learn more. So the book, that's a whole other story on itself. But we essentially were approached by a publisher that said that the science you guys is, is amazing. Can we can we talk about this? We so I wrote the book. I would I didn't sleep for a year. And I wrote <laughs> this and it's it's out now. It came out last week. So the dnaway.com. It's available in all stores everywhere. Um, you can look at that. The testing is at the dnacompany.com. So the dnacompany.com is it's called the 360 test. And of course, don't buy retail. We're gonna have the the discount in there for you. And if you want to learn more, not so much just genetic genetics, but why people are sick, like what are we seeing every day? On my Instagram, we put out a video almost daily about things that we're learning, what's happening with our water supply, what's happening with certain foods, certain clothing that we might even be making you sick. We're learning about forever chemicals and certain clothing, these types of things where um, if you just want to be aware of how to have the right lifestyle, it's cash con. So K-A-S-H, K-H-A-N official. And there's videos on there daily if you just want to keep learning. That's awesome. And I know you and I are connected on Instagram, so people can always yeah. hop over and follow from there as well. Well, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for being here and for all of this information. And I'm excited to see what else you're going to do. You're doing such amazing things. And for everyone listening, definitely pick up the book. There's so much information there. Check out the test. I'm going to do mine. Maybe we'll do another podcast and we'll share about my results. Yeah, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Like I always say, it's not the genes that you have, but it's what you can do about it. Looking at DNA as a GPS is so inspiring because there's so much we can do to either change our habits or take other specific actions to either replace, counteract, or add to what your body may not be doing as efficiently. Helen and I looked in depth into her thyroid and started exploring her autoimmune triggers. She had a lot of triggers. So in order to try to get to as many as we could without making her feel worse in the process, we looked at her DNA so that we knew how to detox in a safe and effective way while also helping her shift her mindset about who she is and how she wants to feel. It was quite amazing what we were able to see, especially when putting this in context with what she was feeling and where she needed to go. We saw which detox pathways were suboptimal and worked on those. We also saw her tendencies when it came to methylation, the way her brain worked when it came to rewards, and how her hunger and satiety mechanisms worked, and so, so much more. It was really eye-opening, and we were able to even further customize her protocol so that we could better address all of her triggers. She felt so empowered by this information because there was so much that she can do about it. 
And she noticed such a difference in how she felt. And she was finally losing weight in just a few months of support. She has more to go, but she's excited to continue and motivated by all of the changes that she's already seeing. If you're interested in looking more in depth into your DNA and be guided by the detailed report that the DNA company provides, please visit the dnacompany.com slash Ina. They created a special code for all of us so you can get 15% off of your kit. I'll put this link and the discount in the show notes as well. If Helen sounds like someone you know, can you please share this episode with them? And please be sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. And remember, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. There's always things that you can do. And it's just about finding the right thing and looking in the right place and being guided by the right person. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved, Thyroid and Hashimoto's Revealed. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.